Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey there, Bengals fans. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you on a different day than usual because we have a very special guest and we will be getting to him in just a second. I am Anthony Cazenza coming at you live with John Sheeran. John, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm back on the best Bengals podcast out there after a, a, a guest appearance on one of the more lesser known ones, the Locked on Bengals ones. It was something I just needed to like, you know, just, just need to kind of like like boost its numbers, you know. They they asked me on to, to to kind of like you know generate some business there. So it's glad to be back on the number one Bengals podcast. Well, uh, you are you are a popular man, dude. You you uh, you are a high demand analyst for a number of different Bengals podcasts. So and you've been making the rounds and uh, good for you. Obviously, a great show, Locked On Bengals. Um, we we think we're pretty good too, but that's that's okay. That's okay, John. John making the rounds. Well, as I teased. Earlier, we have a very special guest, Jason Howarth of Panini America. They specialize in trading cards and doing a lot of different events for the NFL. Uh, he is the vice president, the VP of marketing for the company. Jason, how are you doing? Hey, Anthony, how are you? I'm doing. I'm doing well, thank you, and thanks for making the time for coming on tonight. I know, uh, you know, just. We want to get to know what you do, what the company does, and you know, I know they've been around for a while and have specialized in a lot of different trading cards and other aspects, but let's just kind of start there, if you would. Um, talk a little bit about the company, its history. I, I remember if, I think I remember correctly, didn't they used to do the books with the sticker the sticker we, cards where you collect them? Yeah. Do. yeah. Yeah. So I remember doing that uh, definitely as a kid, you know, yeah. so um, sure. and I know you guys have obviously diversified. So tell us a little bit about Panini America and your role there and uh, a little bit of background there. Yeah, sure, sure. The the, the, the um, shortened version of it is, you know, Panini has been in existence for over 50 years. Uh, to your point, you know, predominantly a sticker, um, a sticker company. Uh, they've been the exclusive uh, FIFA World Cup sticker co um, partner since 1970 and did a ton of sticker collections, everything from Disney and entertainment products to sports products across the world. Um, and then in 2010, they purchased Donruss trading cards out of Texas when they became the exclusive trading card partner of the NBA. Um, you know, and that kind of brought them into the U.S. marketplace. It's also why we're headquartered in Dallas, Texas, is because that's where Donruss was. So Panini America was established in 2010. Um, or uh, actually, I'm sorry, 2009. Um, but they won the license and took over the NBA license exclusively. And then um, when they acquired Donruss, they took over part of the license with the NFL and the NFL Players Association. Uh, it was Panini and Topps. Uh, and then five years ago, we became the exclusive trading card partner for the NFL and the NFL Players Association. 
Um, I joined Panini in 2010, in October of 2010, uh, as their VP of marketing. So, you know, working on a number of different things across the board for, you know, our entertainment properties as well as our sports properties. And obviously basketball and football are huge for us. Um, you know, we also do NASCAR trading cards and collegiate trading cards and soccer trading cards and Major League Baseball Players Association trading cards. So you, just about everything you can think of, we do. So, Jason, the, the Panini has this annual event. This is really why we're, you know, uh, of course, we want to get to know you in Panini America, too. But uh, one of the main reasons we brought you on is because uh, you guys have a rookie premiere. And really, this is the event that you do annually. And it's usually shortly after the draft. And it's when guys come out, you kind of collectively, I think it's normally done in Los Angeles, if I'm not kind of my neck of the woods, if I'm not mistaken, but they come out and it's kind of your first look at these guys in their pro jerseys. They do the photo shoots that go out for a number of different trading card sets. And and obviously, you know, you get to kind of know these, these players. So talk about that event if you would. And, um, you know, just what it's like now, given the, the societal situation. Right. So, I mean, this event, the, the, the NFLPA rookie premiere is, you know, I always call it our Super Bowl because it kind of sets the table for us for the next 16 months with the rookies we think are going to be the most collectible, you know, in the category. So we bring out 40 guys, primarily skill position on the offensive side of the ball, your running backs, your wide receivers, your quarterbacks, an occasional tight end. And usually we bring in one, one defensive player a year to the rookie photo shoot just based off of collectability. And so for that event, what it does is we sit down with all the guys, they get to understand who we are as a business. Um, They sign thousands of autographs for us that go on the trading cards. So whether they're signing the cards physically or they're signing pieces that are gonna be embedded into the cards at a later date, um, we do all of that uh, there. And then in addition to that, we do a whole bunch of other things like capture marketing content with these players that we then use throughout the entire season. Um, and then a big thing is on on the shoot day on that Saturday, which this year would have been at the Coliseum um, where USC plays, we would have been out there uh, with them. They would have been in their NFL uniforms for the first time. We would have got them, you know, doing their action photos for all of our um, trading card products, you know, leading it up until and through um, the season starting. So um, this year, very different. There is no rookie premiere, but the rookie premiere is really important to us. As I, as I mentioned, it, th- those list of 40 guys, typically we have 42 this year, um, but that list of 42 guys sets the stage for, you know, the expectation of what rookies you'll, you'll be able to find predominantly in all of our 36 NFL, NFL PA trading card products throughout the season. There's a, there's a good one there. Um, this, this version, this origins card that, that is up here on the screen, that product is actually uh, released in September, but it's the first product where we actually clone the players into their uniforms before we even see them at the rookie photo shoot, because we, print these cards and we bring those out to us at the rookie photo shoot and have the players sign them there. Um, so it's a, it's a set that we started building probably about three or four years ago. Um, but we clone all the players into their uniform. So, so the first time they see themselves in a uniform is, you know, on this, on this trading card, this origins brand. Um, and then we get them out on the field to, to actually take those photos for the rest of the season for our products. 
talking with Jason Howarth, the VP of Marketing at Panini America. As our viewers on YouTube can see, T. Higgins is featured on one of their cards that was kind of Photoshopped because they couldn't have a live photo shoot at the rookie premiere. But Jason, unfortunately, the last two rookies that came down to the rookie premiere for the Bengals, Mark Walden and Ryan Finley, of all people, not 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 the careers, uh, not not the not the career arcs that. Bengals fans would have expected for just fourth round picks or draft picks. Is that bode not so well for T. Higgins? Is, is he is he going to be like the third times a charm and kind of reverse the trend, or, or, or is he just screwed from the beginning now? You know what? First of all, I would tell you I'm hyped on T. Higgins. I think this wide receiver class is legit. We've got out of this class, the 42 players that were going to be there, 18 wide receivers, T being one of them. But I mean, you put T up there and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Uh, obviously, Henry, I think, got injured, um, but I, I think he'll he'll recover. But um, I think the one thing that there's a couple of things to think about. This year is so different on so many different levels. I mean, these guys haven't gone to rookie training camp yet. They're, you know, I just read something where they think that um, training camps might not start until like July 28th or whatever. So these guys are haven't even got into their facilities yet. They're doing these virtual workouts. Um, you know, with their teams, they're getting into the playbook. That's all great. The playbook is awesome. That's really good. That'll help them. But I think what we need to do is I think this year we're going to need to practice a little bit more patience, especially early on. If we don't see rookies just kind of step up out of the gate and blow up because they haven't had that chance to get into the facility, be around their coaches, be around their teammates, be around the speed of the game. Uh, so I think that that, you know, I think that that's going to, I think we need to give them a little bit of time to get caught up on that. Um, given the situation where they're not even in a facility yet. I mean, some of these guys haven't even gone to their cities where they were selected back in April. Jason, uh, is this, I mean, you've done this for a little while now um, in terms of the, I know it's kind of unique because of the situation, but, I feel, and maybe it's just because from the Bengals' perspective, they had the number one overall pick and one of the most talented quarterbacks to really come out of the draft in a really long time. You just talked about T. Higgins and his talent and all of the wide receiver talent. Is this one of the most talented draft classes or groups of rookies that you can kind of remember coming to this kind of event? Or or, or I guess talent or big name? Right. Uh, well, I would say t- I would say yes. Uh, on paper, the, these guys look like they're going to be crazy. I think the I think what's unfortunate, and from a marketing perspective, is you know we haven't had the opportunity to kind of build up the hype or the excitement for these players or see who these players are. They they haven't had a lot of opportunities to kind of expose themselves to their new cities yet. Um, you know, so that anticipation and excitement, I mean, if you followed college football, you're you're hyped about these guys. But if you're an NFL, you know, an NFL fan, you haven't really followed these guys and are waiting to see what's going to happen. You don't have any of that buzz or expectation of what these guys are really going to be able to do because no one's really talking about it because there's so many other things that are, you know, with zero sports going on, no one's talking about sports, um, you know, so um but I would tell you that I think, you know, this class is really special. I mean, eight QBs, 14 running backs, 18 wide receivers. I mean, you're talking about four QBs or five QBs that were taken in the first round. I mean, crazy. So, um, and all of them, I mean, I would say you, you probably have three that are probably going to start 
you know, somewhere during the, during the season, you know, if not immediately. Um, Jordan Love obviously has, um, you know, a big QB to kind of get and get up and uh, above, but, you know, so that's going to take a little bit more time. Right. And Joe Burrow obviously has Ryan Finley to try to get up and above in the depth chart as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think at that time, I think Joe's time is going to be day one. So I love how this is a Ryan Finley bash session, by the way. <laughs> it was so, it was so weird because I've seen all these like cool rookies last season. And I just see Ryan Finley's like, like gangling, like body, like they're just awkwardly in like the second back row. I know that a draft class last year was not good last year, but that, that's just my own personal soapbox. But I want to get into some juicy stuff here, or potentially juicy stuff. In your experience of going to the to the rookie showcase, was is there any been has there ever been like a controversial like happening or type of story that that happened with the rookie, whether you know he was just not cooperative or just something unconventional to what you've experienced in the, in the, the decade of working with this? So what I always say, you know, I mean everybody has their day, right? There are good days and bad days for all of us. doesn't matter whether you're a football player or whether you're one of the three guys here talking on this podcast. So, you know, the, the rookie premiere is a really intense event. It's a, you know, four days of just grinding, you know, you're signing 4,000 cards, you're, you know, going into different content areas for content shoots. You're, you know, then you get to put on your pads and you're out there for eight hours taking photos and, you know what? People get tired. So I think, you know, so you always run into that. You run into that, like, you know, that back end of the photo shoot where guys tend to get a little bit more sluggish and you're trying to just get them through it and try to, you know, remind them like, dude, this is like your moment. What you do here on this field is going to be put on a card. So you better light it up. Like <laughs> that's what needs to happen. So I know you're tired. I know you're beat. Just light it up now because this is what's going to go on your card. So, you know, it's those types of things. And, you know, we're always, you know, there's always guys that, you know, can be a little bit challenging or whatever, but we always find our way through it. They understand it. You know, they understand the importance of it and what it means to connect to the fan. Um, so I, I would say that there hasn't been anything that's, you know, crazy. I think the thing that's interesting for me is like you start to get to know these players. And so, you know, I grew up a Patriots fan. I'm still a Patriots fan. You know, but you start watching these guys and you get to know them through the rookie photo shoot. And you start rooting for them. You know, it doesn't matter what team they play for, um, you know, and some guys you root for more than others and, and all that stuff. So it's it's an interesting dynamic to kind of change that, change that up and look at it from that perspective, especially when they're playing your team. And you're like, man, you know what? I want him to do all right, but just not enough to win. <laughs> talking with Jason Howarth, the VP of Marketing at Panini America. Jason, we're going to get you out of here in just a minute. Uh, before we do, where, how, um, you know, where, where can some of our listeners get these Absolutely. products either from the Rookie Premiere or other Panini products? Um, you know, I know, like, like I said, there's like a wide variety of stuff. Yeah, so the um, obviously, we've got their collegiate products out in the marketplace. Score just came out, which is a great brand. Um, that I think a lot of people are familiar with. You'll see the, these rookies, Joe Burrow in his collegiate uniform with the Bengals logo on the card, um, you know, in our score product. In a few few more weeks, we'll be releasing Donruss, which is home to the rated rookie, which, you know, I think, you know, all of us grew up with and is brand and iconic from a from an insert name. So that's that's fun and exciting. And all these guys will be rated rookies. 
Um, but you can get it at Walmart. You can get it at Target. You can get it at hobby stores or you can get it online at PaniniAmerica.net. Awesome. Well, thank you for the time. Uh, and we will uh, definitely put we'll, we'll put the uh, website and stuff in our live chat for people who uh, not only are joining us live, but um, we'll be joining, you know, if they watch the show after they can kind of scroll through the comments there and we'll put it in the comments for our YouTube channel and definitely we'll be promoting it on cincyjungle.com. We'll link the site and everything. So um, we'll make sure we get uh, we get some promotion there for you. Before we get out of here, before we let you go, Jason, you mentioned I was going to ask and final final question was going to ask about where your fan allegiance was. You mentioned uh, it about New England. How do you feel just out of curiosity with all the uh, turnover that's gone gone on over there this offseason? How do you feel about your team this year? Um, how do I feel about our team? Uh, interesting. Um, I, you know, listen, I'm, I'm always going to root for Tom Brady. I'm always going to root for Gronk. You know, the, those guys are, will always be Patriots to us, uh, up in Boston. Uh, so really excited to see what Tom and Gronk do in Tampa. I know what they're going to do. I think I have a, an expectation of what they're going to do, uh, from a Patriots perspective. I mean, they're really in love with Jared Stidham. I don't know yet. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess we'll find out early, uh, but you know, I'm also on that that tank for Trevor bus too. I'm, I'm willing to tank for Trevor and then have another 15 years of, you know, great quarterback. Yeah. Well, I think you guys are accustomed to some good, pretty good quarterback <laughs> play. So, but thanks for, coming, thanks for coming on again, Jason Howarth from Panini America. Thanks for chatting with us, letting us know what's going on with uh, your products. Again, we will promote those. We'll put the uh, information on cincyjungle.com in the live chat, as well as, um, in our, in our post on cincyjungle.com. So thanks so much for the time, Jason. Uh, if you want to come back on your open invite, if you got some other things going on, we'd love to help you promote that. And uh, this is a good time for Bengals fans to really get into some of this collectible memorabilia because there's so many, you know, Joe Burrow, T Higgins, all kinds of cool guys. Oh, yeah. And then the trading card, if the, the trading card category, if you're not, if you think it's like back in the day when you were a kid, man, it's totally evolved and the market is just on fire right now. So basketball and football, I mean, literally, literally all the sports are clicking. We've got really good rookie classes, you know, basketball with John Morant and Zion and, and the new guys that are going to be coming in eventually. Right. Um, they're, when they're drafted in October instead of 10 days from now. Uh, but then this rookie class on the football side is just, you know, going to be incredible. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again, Jason. We'd love to have you back on and uh, good luck to you in the future. And, you know, if we can be of assistance as a, as a show and or get some more information out to, to Bengals fans, we'd love to do that for you. Absolutely. We should definitely do that. All right. Take it All easy. Right. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. All right. Jason Howarth from uh, Panini America. That was fun. You know, it's uh, I as a kid, John, I was like a card fiend. Um, I haven't, unfortunately, bought cards really late lately. But um, some of these things, like he said, some of these things they put out now, these autographs and all kinds of stuff. It's like, oh, man, this is a lot different than going to the store and getting a 99 cent pack of pro set cards. You know what I mean? None of these off the show. I can safely say that I was more of a tops guy growing up, but that was just for baseball. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, but I forgot to ask him if, if they're going to make a trading card of Joe Burrow smoking the cigar. Cause I feel Ooh, like that, that would have been it. That would, yeah, that would, uh, man, that'd be a hot seller for sure. For sure. I, I don't imagine a lot of moms would allow their kids to buy that. though. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think they want uh, eight year olds getting you know their their next uh, hero with tobacco products. But hey, it's a it's a famous image, you know. Deal with it. That should be the caption actually of that picture. Deal with it. Um, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. <laughs> Good segue there. Uh, he's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We just talked with Jason Howarth of Panini America, getting a little bit of a different kind of guest on the program, uh, talking a little bit about trading cards, sports memorabilia, sports memorabilia, and other items that Bengals fans can get, especially as it goes to the exciting rookie class that they just brought in. So uh, check out Panini America where you can. We'll also link some of that stuff, as I mentioned. And you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. Uh, our YouTube channel, and then on cincyjungle.com. So subscribe to the channel. Not only get our show on the audio platforms, but you can also get Orange is the New Black from Ace, Boogie, and Zim Hude. You can get Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk episodes, and you can also get Sorry If I Spit When I Speak with uh, Daddy O. McDuke and Dr. Hoji Smoji. And John is a, a frequent contributor on that program as well. So um, get all of those programs, and we appreciate you listening to ours here. We're going to get to the nine for nine. John's going to take care of that at, towards the end of the program. Before we do, we have another little topic we want to discuss. Uh, I don't think we've done this yet for 2020. I think we definitely did it last year for 2019. But we want to talk a little bit about a couple, give maybe one or two players for each of us that have the most to prove in 2020. Now, usually this means a non-rookie. It could be a guy entering their second season. It could be a veteran that's winding down their career. It could be some guy somewhere in the middle. Um, and it could be, you know, someone that did nothing for the past couple of years, and now they've, they're thrust into a more high-profile role. It could be a guy that played a little bit in 2019 and before and now has a higher-profile role in 2020. It goes all over the board. So – there is a lot for this team to prove coming off of a two and 14 season. I personally am not going to go the rookie route. Um, I, I think there is arguments to be made about, yeah, Joe Burrow's got a lot to prove and all of that, but I'm not going to go the rookie route. I'm going to go because you're starting to see this team, John move into Zach Taylor's image. We would think. And so I'm going to look at a couple of still young players, but not rookie players personally. So I will start with one. We'll hear from you. And then I've, I've got two. Do you have two? I got two. Okay. Uh, I will start if you're okay with that. And we'll kind of volley it back and forth and talk about why we chose these people. And, and by the way, if you're listening to us live, go ahead and give yours in terms of Bengals players you think have the most to prove. You don't have to play by our rules that we are, we're setting out. You can, you can play by your own. The one I want to start with, John, and it may or may not be obvious to a lot of people, I'm going to go with Drew Sample. Uh, and Drew, for a couple of reasons. Number one, high draft pick, and a lot of people weren't happy with him being picked as high as the second round. They kind of feel like the Bengals settled, especially when you move back and you see talented offensive linemen go in front of them that really could have helped the team. And, you know, you look at the film of Drew Sample, there is, there's some aspects of it. You say, this kid's talented, but the numbers weren't really there um, in, in an offense at Washington that, you know, had at times a high-profile passing attack. They kind of tried to use him a little bit in an H-back role in the preseason, um, and really he did not do anything for the team 
as a rookie, ended up getting hurt. So there was kind of the combination of ineffectiveness and then injury. Now, John, with, with Drew Sample, the thing, aside from second-round pick and you know just needing to kind of take a leap for the entire offense and really help out a rookie quarterback in Joe Burrow, you have the issue of Tyler Eifert leaving the team. And, you know, in discussing this this roster with some other Bengals fans recently, you know, the topic of, you know, quarterback is is pretty, pretty strong, albeit inexperienced um, in terms of years in the league. You've got a really strong, seemingly really strong wide receiver group. The linebacker group was bolstered. Defensive line looks okay. Um, safeties, who we will talk about a little a little bit later, is a very interesting group. Um, so there, there are spots of this team that really have improved, but tight end seems to be one of the weaker groups, uh, position groups on this team. And when you get rid of a Tyler Eifert, even with the injuries, you lose a viable red zone threat. You lose a guy that moves the sticks. And you, you I've, I've said this a lot, and maybe it's an old school mentality, but that position is vital to a young quarterback success. Yes, talented wide receivers. Yes, offensive line, of course, but a tight end can be a young quarterback's best friend in terms of a third down outlet, a red zone outlet, that sort of thing. So to me, as I sit here, the guy that immediately springs to mind is a guy that needs to make a big leap and has a lot to prove in year two is Drew Sample at the tight end position. In answering this question, the the two that I chose are going to be are projected to be starters. And I think with your sample as well, like he might be behind CJ CJ Uzoma on the depth chart, but there's definitely going to be opportunities where he sees significant and important snaps during the game. But when I'm talking when I'm thinking about guys who are going going to start and play the, the vast majority of snaps, two initially came to my mind. And when we get through all four of these, our our listeners are going to notice a, a very prevalent theme and the four guys that we chose. Sticking with the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to go Michael Jordan, mm. primarily because last season was just the most hilliest of roller coasters for an offensive <laughs> line that you will ever see, especially for a guy who was drafted late in the fourth round, who was one of the youngest players. I think he was actually the youngest player on the Bengals, maybe one of the youngest starting offensive linemen in the entire NFL. I think there's an easy argument to make for that. I would have to look it up, but I'm just going to make the assumption that he was because he was 21. Um but started four games out of the gate at left guard was just utterly abysmal. He was benched after the Arizona game in week five. He didn't return to the field until right before the bye week when he was just a rotational guy playing at right guard and the Rams game. Then he was like a, essentially an extra blocker for three weeks after that when Ryan Finley was stinking it up. And then um, situation forced him back to left guard for the final five weeks of the season and he looked competent. He looked like the best version of himself at Ohio State. And he looked like the guy who was utilizing his natural, rare athletic gifts, his length, whatever raw power that he, that he had against the competition that he faced, albeit it wasn't that good. But those five weeks apparently convinced the coaching staff that, yeah, left guard, at least this spot, is, is solid. We're not going to address it in free agency. We're not going to address it in the draft. We're going to focus on replacing John Miller at right guard with another guy who has a lot to prove and another guy that we could actually list on into the segment as well in Xavier Suofilo. But the coaching staff showcased and displayed immense level of confidence in Michael Jordan taking 
that last five games of the 2019 season and putting it into a full 16 game slate of at least average solid play at that position at a, at a position that's going to, going to be in between a rookie or a basically a first year playing Jonah Williams and your best offensive lineman Trey Hopkins. A lot of pressure on that spot to take over for a guy in Clint Bowling who was just a rock for the past eight or nine years at that position. Hopefully Jordan becomes the next long-term answer to that at that spot, but he has to prove it now because if he puts together another wildly inconsistent season there, there's just no way that you can justify that, that they don't look at that position in the 2021 offseason. but he's going to get the chance to start. Um, I think his leash is going to be relatively long because they just don't have any depth of that position. And there's just no one really that's there to legitimately challenge him, especially considering the fact that he has the highest upside of any offensive lineman that they have at that can play that spot. But it's it really is now or never for him because he's, you know, fourth round picks starting in, in year two. It's not like they have, you know, it, it's not like they have a, immense job security going into years three and four of the rookie contract. That I think Michael Jordan is one of the most enigmatic players on the Bengals roster coming into this year. That's a great pick, John, because you look at you look at the athletic profile, size, athleticism. He's an athletic kid, very young, as you mentioned. But the the tape is just, I mean, it's like, and I don't know what to make. Like you said, there was, and this was the same thing at the end of twenty eighteen when the offensive line played well. Joe Mixon had a string of of really good games behind the the blocking that kind of finally came together. But was it? Was it scheme development that played to more strengths? Was it uh, Joe Mixon just kind of hitting his stride? Was it the fact that it's lesser talent that they were, that, that the teams were going up against, or was it all of the above? You know, I mean, that's that's kind of the big question, and they're gonna they're gonna let this kid sink or swim. It sounds like, but good choice there with Michael Jordan. I'm 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 very I'm cautiously optimistic, but you know, like you said, there were some peaks and valleys there last year that really raise some concerns. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball for my second guy. And there are a couple of good ones that some of our people in the, in the chat have listed. I'm going to go with Rennell Wren. Uh, that was arguably my favorite pick of last year's draft simply because of, you know, the, the Bengals get this athletic, huge, another one of these potential defensive linemen that are impact guys in the third or fourth round. They have a long track record of getting guys particularly interior linemen, but getting very productive guys in those rounds. Marvin Lewis did that a number of times, Demata Pico, Geno Atkins, uh, Pat Sims was a third round guy. Um, and so I, I kind of had high hopes. I, I watched a little bit of this guy uh, because he was a Pac-12 kid. I got to see a bit of him. Athletic freak, but because why he was in the fourth round was because the tape didn't match the athleticism. And now the Bengals on defense are trying to really mix things up. They've brought in a lot of different personnel. Khalid Kareem's in there now. You obviously have Geno Atkins. You've got, you brought in DJ Reader. You've got Sam Hubbard, Carl Lawson. Andrew Brown's going to be in the mix. There's a lot of competition there. Um, and there may, and Josh Tupo, he was, he's another guy that, that's going to be in the mix there with his size. So, how, you know, how do you, find the great, the, the best alignments up front, the most effective alignments up front. And how do you use this kid to his strengths? And is he going to be that, is he going to take that next leap in year two? He, he played kind of sparingly as a rookie, not real high impact plays, not nothing that really jumped out. 
um, but got some needed playing time. And he could be, you know, one of these guys that ends up being because he could play some interior, may may do some outside work, uh, depending on the alignment. He may go the way of another guy that they tried to move around a lot and Marcus Hardison that did nothing for the team, or he may end up being a very high impact guy because he has that athleticism. So I think again, and I go back to the 2019 class that Zach Taylor brought, brought in because John, you mentioned it in our interview with Jason Howarth that on right now looks like a very, very poor draft class. Um, and, and so this is a big year. That's why I, I picked two guys from that class to, to turn, really turn the thing, turn this team around. This team can't from 2015 and, and other years, they had a string of a couple of bad drafts that really set this team back. And 2019, uh, the 2019 class, unfortunately appears to be going into that pattern and this team can't afford that. So that's why I picked my two guys I picked were from the 2019 class. Ren has a level of athleticism that it's like you don't expect him to be a high-profile pass rusher, and that and he wasn't at Arizona State, and that was one of the reasons why I wasn't too high on that pick because the athleticism was outstanding for his size, but the production was just it was just bare. There was just nothing to show for there. But for what they're going to ask him to do, which is basically two gap at the five technique spot, be that thirty-four defensive end. I think it's perfect for his type of profile for the way that he plays. He, he's athletic in the sense where he's explosive out, out of his step and he can hold his ground, but he's not going to have any type of bend or any type of power or f- finesse moves to, to get to the quarterback consistently, but don't, they don't need him to do that. So I think there is an, an opportunity as a window for Ren to fulfill whatever potential that is. And when you have that athleticism on your side, the likelihood of you filling out whatever potential that you have is pretty high. So I, I do like, Ren going into year two, and I do think that he is going to be someone that can fulfill uh, the promise of, of proving himself in year, in year two. But my final guy, again, another guy from the 2019 class, Jermaine Pratt, who's mm. almost like the forgotten guy, I guess, in the linebacker group right now, because last season it was like, you know, he was groomed, slowly groomed as a starter um, because he was playing behind Nick Vigil, Nick Hill, and Preston Brown. Fe- uh, eventually, when he was a starter against Baltimore, the first time they played the Ravens, he was terrible, especially in coverage. And But they kept giving him opportunities to fail and just to, to get his feet wet. And that's exactly what happened. He kept getting exposed in space. He was looking like another linebacker that was doomed to bust, drafted in a, in a very similar range in the draft because he has athleticism. He has straight line explosion and whatnot, but the fluidity, the change of direction, just the spatial awareness to be apt in coverage, it, it just wasn't showing up. And it spoke to the to his lack of experience at that position in college and his lack of experience taking on those responsibilities from those alignments, where the more that he played, the more stable and consistent he ended up becoming. And just like Jordan, in the final five or six weeks of the season, he started to play a lot better. He started to, to minimize the negative plays, to stay in his gaps, to stay in his fits, and to just trust his eyes. And he didn't get exposed in coverage. He wasn't chasing down plays. He wasn't taking bad angles. He was looking like the linebacker that we kind of saw in glimpses in preseason. That was like, okay, this is we. They finally have a linebacker that can hold their hold their ground against second level blockers and shed blockers and make, make tackles in their fits and make actual quality run stops instead of tackles eight to ten yards down the line of scrimmage. Now you have this entire upheaval 
of the whole linebacker group. You sign Josh Bynes, you draft three guys who are probably going to make the roster. Jermaine Pratt becomes is still one of the five guaranteed guys to make the team, and you would assume that he's still going to start and either two or three linebacker sets. But it's kind of being forgotten right now because he's not the new guy on the block like like the other four guys that they brought in. But he might be the most stable guy in terms of consistently perform because he's not a rookie and he's not 32 years old like Josh Bynes. So what his role ends up being this year, whether it's just the pure Mike linebacker or they play more of a run and chase will type position, I think it'll be interesting to see how maybe Logan Wilson maybe takes some snaps away from him as well because he might be the, the rookie to see the field first and more often. But how he interacts and plays off these rookies who are going to get more snaps, I think it's going to be interesting and he needs to show that, again, just like Jordan, that that last half of 2019 was not a fluke. It's a sign of things to come and progress further into hopefully a solid starter for this defense. You, well, If you had a prediction for Pratt what in 2020, do you see him still continuing to ascend? Do you see him – because he did play better towards the end of the year. Once, Like you said, once Preston Brown was out of there – and they gave Pratt more time, you know, he kind of, he made some nice plays or do you think he will, he will do, I kind of see him as doing pretty well, but still limiting snaps because of the additions they brought in. That's kind of my thought, but I, I, I'm curious if you've got a prediction on him for 2020. I, I think depending on who they play, like on a weekly basis, like against the Ravens, I think he's going to see a lot of snaps because I think they're just going to continue into that type of defense that kind of worked well for them the, the, the first time. They play them. Now I'm talking about the time that the Ravens scored 49 points. But depending on how these these rookies look, these guys who are just better players in coverage, it could limit the amount of snaps that, that Pratt sees in, on on nickel and on, and on third down. When for the most for the most of the, of the time, like there only there's only two linebackers on the field, and like Pratt has an in and being one of those two guys and having more opportunities to prove himself, but he has to show that he's just better and more consistent in that area because. Right now, he's just a better run defender than, than he is a, a, a coverage guy, and he's just he's just a better at going downhill than and the backpedaling and playing laterally in space. Whereas Logan Wilson, Keem Davis, Gaither, Marcus Bailey, those guys have been doing it for their entire careers in college. Yeah. I guess I guess Wilson and Bailey more than Davis Gaither, but those are athletes that you would trust in those roles more. So I think Pratt is still going to see, you know, at least 300, 400, maybe even five hundred snaps on defense as this rotation of linebacker kind of fulfills itself. But I do think we're going to see a, a better player, a, someone who's more comfortable in the scheme that's being established right now. A guy that obviously the, the, the defensive coaches are more aware and, and accustomed to, to working with than the other guys that they brought in. So there's a comfort level there. I think he's a very smart player. He's a very cerebral guy. He's a, he was a leader in North Carolina. So he'll, he'll get it worked out, whether it be this year, maybe next year. I don't know. But I do think that he needs to show something this year or else his role going forward will be diminished with the amount of investment that, that they put into this position this year. Yeah. Well, the linebackers appear to be in a lot better shape in general this year than they were last year. So um, really nowhere to go, but up, I guess um, based on some stuff last year, but uh, good stuff. Those are a couple of others uh, before we get to the nine for nine uh, continue that series. We see, uh, I saw a couple people, buddy Higgins and, Sean Lee actually said William Jackson has the most approved this year. I saw uh, someone else say John Ross, big rig bill said John Ross. Um, and then I saw a couple people say Jonah Williams. So uh, a lot of uh, 
you know, there's uh, Alex Redman, Bobby Hart, Sean Williams. Those are a couple of others. So, I mean, again, you could point to a lot of people here on a, on a roster that if they stayed here after a two and 14 season, um, there are a lot of people you could potentially point to as having a lot to prove. So, um, you know, <laughs> it's a, we thought about some of those guys. We just, you know, for time's sake, we couldn't, we couldn't do six a piece. We did two a piece and uh, hopefully you, you can understand that, but this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. We're going to close up here in just a few minutes with the nine for nine series. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google play megaphone. Uh, you can get it on iHeartRadio. It's on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. And uh, you can also uh, get the show on CincyJungle.com along with the other slate, the entire slate of Cincy Jungle podcast. So get the show how you can. Anthony, I believe this is week six of our nine for nine. No, this is week seven. Seven, I think. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're, we're nearing the finish line here. We're 77% done now. Um, we've done a lot of offense lately. We did, we did wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, back to back to back. Uh, so we're going to go back to the to the defense side of the ball. We still have two position groups in itself on that side of the ball. We're going to go with the one with less players, and that's the safety position. Um, a position group that saw a surprise addition, if you will, this 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 offseason in free agency. They didn't draft anybody, but they did sign Von Bill. Who we we soon found out was going to be taking over for Sean Williams at, at that starting strong safety position, going to play next to Jesse Bates on that defense, and then we, we've talked a lot about you know how how are those three Bell Bates and Williams going to work together in this defense? Are we going to see more of a type of a big dime look where you have three safeties on the field? You have maybe Sean Williams either playing up close, you have Von Bell playing up close, and Jesse Bates and Sean Williams playing back in more of cover two roles. You know, the, the relationship of those three has been discussed on this show ad nauseum. So I want to kind of angle this with, a, with another direction here because the Bell signing was surprising, especially after they went out and signed DJ Reader and Trey Waynes and um, Mackenzie Alexander. They were uh, j- just those three alone. It, it would have eclipsed anything that they've ever done in free agency up to that point. But then they go out and sign Von Bell, who was still on the market after a week. And there were like, it was still like, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the Bengals have done all this. Why not just go out and get a bell? They still have money. And that's exactly what they did. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did it. Because it wasn't exactly filling a pressing need, I guess. Because they still – I mean, Sean Williams didn't play that well last year. But he's still a guy that you would have expected to make the roster, still expected to start. Kind of like the situation of George Aloka a couple of years ago when they drafted Jesse Bates in the second round. And you think, okay, they're just going to have three safeties out there. And then, surprise, surprise, they released George Aloka like halfway through the preseason of that same offseason, that same year. So that's probably not going to happen with Sean Williams this year, but two months after Von, two and a half months after Von Bell has joined the Bengals, are you are you still as excited about that addition as you were when it happened? Because at the end of the day, like the value of your your strong safety, not 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 your deep safety, because Bates has more value as a coverage player, but you know the value of Bell and Williams, I guess, can be the difference of that can be considered marginal. Are you still excited as excited about that addition? Or has it kind of just like, you know, are, are you coming off, I, I guess, of a high of that? And do you think it's, it's going to make as big of an impact as we have convinced ourselves to, to believe that it will be? I am still excited about it. There is a caveat to my excitement, and that is they better use those guys in a diverse type of ways. Uh, you know, 
if you're going to keep Sean Williams and Von Bell, and obviously Jesse Bates, but Von Bell, Sean Williams, kind of you know a, a little bit interchangeable in that in that specific position. If you're going to keep all three, good, but use all three and use all three effectively. Get them out on the field. You know, Von Bell is he's kind of that box guy. He, he'll he'll help out in the run. He'll help out in the short passing game. Sean Williams has has shown a propensity to in terms of from his growth from when he first started with the Bengals to actually be uh, adept against the pass. Now he took a step backwards last year because I think they asked him to do a lot of different things and he wasn't, it's just not really in his wheelhouse. Um, So I'm very excited if the plan is to use those guys and use them uh, in, in a diverse set of ways to really kind of confuse opposing quarterbacks. What I'm, what I am worried about though, John now Jesse Bates had a little had a nice back half of mm-hmm. the season last year, but in 2018, you could make the argument that Sean Williams and Jesse Bates were two of the best players on the entire team. Um, they, com- they combined, I think, for eight or eight or nine interceptions, if I if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Um, you know, very exciting players, and, and obviously 2018 was a was a poor season as it as it is, but you know, they were very, very, I, I think they both led the team in tackles. They were one and two in tackles, had triple digits in tackles, I think. So, I, you know, the talents there, I, my hope and why I'm excited to kind of answer your question is maybe Von Bell and the addition and usage of him helps get those two back to 2018 form. And then you have an entirely different look of a defense, especially than that of what you saw at the beginning of 2019. I kind of softballed the question. And, and while I was asking, I realized that, you know, I, I think my answer will, will, would be the same. Like, of course, just on pure talent alone, I think Von Bell is at, at definitely one of the two best players that they signed this offseason of the eight guys that they signed in free agencies, the, at least the second most talented, arguably behind DJ reader and nose tackle. So from a, from a pure talent acquisition point, like it was a great signing and one that provides an upgrade over the incumbent starter in Sean Williams. But yeah, it's, it's all about, you know, the mystery of how those guys are going to be used in, in that way. And I don't know if the addition of Von Bell specifically will help Jesse Bates become more, more of a consistent player. I think in general, a lot of the issues that Bates and therefore Williams had last year was a lot of miscommunication issues uh, with the entire back half of the defense as well. And, and you started to see them kind of come along and communicate better and therefore play a lot better as the season went on, I, I remember like the Raiders game specifically uh, when they incorporated a lot more of Brandon Wilson and, and like nickel looks and playing in the slot. And I, I think that's when Bates had his first interception of, of the season or one of the, one of his first interceptions of the season when he started to really play better. It was just a lot more of a cohesive unit at that point. And w- w- regardless of Sean Williams had some missed tackles and, and misfits in, in the run game or whatnot, Bates ended up playing a lot better towards the final stretch of that season. And, I don't know if, if the addition of Bell helps him become more consistent in what is a pivotal year for him. And, you know, if he, if Jesse Bates plays well this year, then he's looking at potentially a massive contract extension in 2021. So it's a, it's a great year for him. And it's nice that, that they have a guy like Bell to give them some security at, at that position going forward. But it, it is going to be interesting to see if they, if they use Bell more in the box where he's better at, or if they just use him as a traditional, you know, deep um, half of the field safety, because, and honestly, like we said before, like Sean Williams is better at that role than he is in the box, and Bell's better in the box than he is in the back half. So there's an avenue for all these three to work out, but it's just a matter of, of seeing that for himself. Unfortunately, though, well, not unfortunately, but just the matter of the fact is 
there's only two other safeties on the roster right now. This was like the most surprising thing when they kind of stopped adding guys and undrafted free agency. They only have five safeties on the roster. None of them are rookies. They didn't sign a college free agent at this position. Mm-hmm. The only guys behind those three are Brandon Wilson and, Tra- and Trayvon Henderson. Uh, Wilson has made his name as the team's unquestionably best kick returner, and he's going going to make the roster because of that, regardless of if he plays safety or not. But Henderson hasn't really done anything. Like He was injured his entire rookie year. I think he tore his ACL, and then I think he just lasted on the practice squad and maybe was on the active roster for a few weeks here and there as well. But um, like there's, there's an avenue where all five of these guys can make the team, but in all likelihood, probably only four. So there, there's just no way that Henderson makes the team at, at, when it comes to, to September, right? I don't think so. We know that in the secondary and at the linebacker positions and with the promotion that Darren Simmons recently received, I think it was this offseason to assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. Well-deserved by the way, um, that, that guy's steadied that group for a long time for the Bengals. But I, as we know, and in, in certain position groups like linebacker and in the secondary, the back guys, you got to play special teams and you got to contribute on special teams. And that is where Brandon Wilson, obviously, based on what he did last year as a kick return guy, that's where he just, you know, it's not really too much of a competition there. Now, going back to the bell signing and, and you know, we can be excited about the, and we should be very excited about the bell signing, but I think also you look at this and this is where you kind of get bummed out about Clayton Fedulum leaving because mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a good depth player. I think he was signed for a little bit too much money for the, the caliber of player that he is. But I think that that's where you start to kind of say the depth is lacking here because Wilson may go out there and play sparingly on defense, but you know, they may want to save him if he is going to be their primary kick return guy. That's going to be an interesting battle to see. Is Phillips going to be the kick returner? Is Wilson going to be the kick returner? Is one going to do punts? One going to do kickoffs? What are they going to do there? It's a good problem to have, but I just, you know, as, as excited as we can be about the bell signing, that's where I kind of say, well, I just I wish there was a little bit more of experience depth uh, as an effective defensive player like a Clayton Fedgelin. Right, and I think because there's that lack of veteran presence there, maybe that's just the reality that Sean Williams is facing now. He's that guy. He's the guy who's going to be more special teams than actual base defense or nickel defense uh, situations. If they're only going to, I mean, all, in, in all honesty, all, odds are. There's going to be two safeties on the field the vast the vast majority of the time. There's going to be packages where you can have three safeties out there. And maybe sometimes you want to have Brandon Wilson as like a slot defender on the field instead of Sean Williams be the extra boxer or, yeah. or, or overhang defender. So it's not just going to be Sean Williams when they have three safeties on the field. You know, there's going to be rotation opportunities to get Bates and Bell some rest here and there. But like it's not just going to be Sean Williams being on the field for like half the snaps when they're in three safety looks. That's just that's just an, a way that they can incor- incorporate those three. And you want to incorporate Williams as much as possible because you're still paying 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 him nearly five million dollars, and you can cut him easily without any cap casualty. But you, you want to justify that salary going forward. Um, but yeah, like you know, Wilson's going to be the kick returner. It's weird because well, it's not weird, but you you would like that one of Wilson or Phillips can also become a decent pump returner because I think they tried to give Phillips opportunities there, and he just just wasn't very good at it. And I don't think they've tried to do that with Wilson yet, but it would be nice if they had distinct roles for both of them. 
Whereas you can be comfortable in just booting Alex Erickson off the roster because he's right. He right now is your only viable experienced pump returner on the roster. But yeah, like they only have 84 roster spots right now. And based on how this whole pandemic situation is going to go, you need as many bodies as possible. So in filling out the remainder of this roster, I would not be shocked at all if at least one or two more safeties are added just for the sake of having, you know, clear levels of depth. A, a nice solid six would be good to have, you know, one first team, second team, third team. It's just a matter of where that extra guy is going to, going to come from. But a guy like Henderson, while he may not make the team, he will definitely last throughout the entirety of training camp preseason for the fact that he is right now their only main depth piece besides Brandon Wilson. Yeah, I'm also intrigued by some of these. I, I'm looking at the at the Bengals cornerback roster to see if there are some guys with size that maybe could be swing type of players or more, like you said, more maybe a little bit more like a Mackenzie Alexander, like primarily a slot guy that you know sometimes can do some of the things a safety would be asked to do. Um, you know, Lashawn Sims, pretty big guy, six foot, two hundred three. Uh, you know, you have guys that have the defensive back designation instead of cornerback designation. Tony Brown, six foot, one ninety nine. Winston Rose, I think, is a, is more of a pure corner, um, mm-hmm. six foot, one eighty. But you know, I'm kind of intrigued to see. We know Phillips is a boundary corner. Um, Tory McTire um, doesn't really seem to have the the he's five eleven, one eighty eight. That's not necessarily true uh, safety. Greg Maben listed as a corner, 6'2", 195. I mean, you know, that. so I guess I'm just kind of thinking out loud as to if any of these guys, you know, if, if a Trayvon Henderson isn't really uh, ideal as an extra guy, maybe you go heavier at corner and you kind of have one of those swing guys that the Bengals seem to like to keep at a, at a couple of different position groups. I'm glad that you brought that up because I didn't even think about that as an, an, a, an option. Because I know I got you. Some, yeah, like for the past <laughs> few years, people have been saying like Drake, you know, move Drake or Patrick to safety. Like that would do anything for his career just because he was tall. I think made him like a viable right. option for safety. Uh, Lashawn Sims though is interesting to me because he was one of the the I think he was signed before Von Bell was signed, like before the first week of free agency ended, and he has a ton of special teams experience. He was signed pretty soon after Tony McRae left for the Lions to join Braden Coombs' special teams unit there. So I think Sims has an in to make the roster in some capacity for his special teams experience. But yeah, if they are really deep at cornerback and they don't expect him to play that much at all, they can like list him as a safety and just have him be a versatile piece back there because he does have the size and he is you know experienced enough to make that sort of transition. But yeah. Isaiah Swan, I think they're going to keep a cornerback. The undrafted guy from Dartmouth, uh, Winston Rose, like you said, Greg Maben and Tory McTire both played last year. They both played cornerback, I think, exclusively in the minimal snaps that they took. So of those guys, I think Sims makes the most sense for a transition because, you know, if, if he's going to make the roster, it's going to be because of special teams. And if you have LaShawn Sims playing at cornerback for you when the games actually matter, you're in deep trouble. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know the cornerback. I just looking over that list, there are a lot of names there. So that's, I know we, you know, that's going to be a a battle. And I think, you know, as it is with a lot of position groups, I think, you know, if if you're able to play special teams and you're able to show some positional versatility, that can only help you. Absolutely. So we got two more groups left, John. Uh, What do do we have here? We've got 
What, what, cornerbacks, what, like we just okay, we just previewed, I guess, for maybe yeah. the next one, and then yeah. after that, uh, tight end. That's right. Okay, and we talked yeah. a little tight end too. So good. Well, this has been this has been good, um, and we're we're gonna wrap this up, and it'll be it'll time nicely, I think, with uh, getting into closer to training camp and it's and all of that. So uh, good stuff, John. Thanks for spearheading that as usual. Let's get out of here. Let's drop the mic. What do you got for us, John, before we get out of here? So uh, literally an hour before the show began, I was on Twitter and I think Daddio, our, our friend of the show, he liked a video of AJ Green posting mm. or AJ Green posted a video on his Instagram story of him training, uh, working on acceleration, coming off of that injured toe. And it was posted by at Luca Zave, who I think I've I recognize the name as a guy who follows a bunch of people uh, writing about the Bengals, but he claims that Green's methodology of, of training and rehabbing and basically training in general, because his rehab is over at this point, like he's fully hundred percent healthy, but he claims that there's an issue with the way that he's training specifically of generating acceleration coming off of a sprinter stance and using and utilizing the leverage of that right toe, which has been injured with turf toe, at least two, at least two times in his career. I think there's one uh, sports injury site that has him for, uh, for four specific toe injuries with, with that specific right toe. And that is the toe that cost him his entire 2019 season. But he claims that, you know, the way that he's, that he's training and he's putting too much weight on that toe and that can lead to issues down the line. And, and, and honestly, like he's got a point. If, if you have the same injury for, for four times in, in nine years, it, it's not a coincidence at that point. It is a pattern. So I, I, I'm worried that he, there's some validity here, but also if anybody can can get the stage at Green and his training staff and anybody close to him that maybe adjust whatever he's doing, because I look at this and I just see a guy sprinting off of, of a sprinter stance. I don't see anything wrong from a, a mechanical standpoint, but I encourage you guys to to go to his Twitter page at LucaZave, L-U-C-A-X-A-V, and to diagnose it if you have any idea of what you're looking at and to tell me if he and I am full of crap. Yeah, Luca, um, I, I saw a little bit of that. I've been kind of busy with other stuff today, but I saw a little bit of that, and I was like, who is this guy? Uh, I, I guess he's got some sort of a medical background and or uh, physical therapy background, so I, I would like to maybe try and get that guy on the show to talk about that. It's interesting because you look at that video and you think that's great form because you've always been taught in athletics to use the ball, balls of your feet. Right. I mean, you want it. You want to push off the balls of your feet, um, you know, whether it whether it is your heel, depending on what you're doing or, you know, the the, the toe or the kind of the, the plant part of your foot. It, so it, it's it's interesting to me. And it, it brought up, uh, you know, kind of an interesting chicken or the egg type of thing um, with with that. So, uh, yeah, but good stuff. And definitely go check out that video. You know, it, it was like. Oh, he's healthy. Awesome. And then this guy says this and you're like, Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, but good stuff. I don't have too much except for just a couple of, uh, little announcements and shout outs. Um, we are still working on getting Ken Anderson on the program. So, uh, you know, we we're crossing our fingers on that one. We're going to continue to bring you some more guests where we have been working on some other people as well. We're not going to say who that is because don't want to over promise and under deliver, but, uh, we are working on some people, but, uh, still working on Ken Anderson. And for those who were hoping to hear from him, I believe it was last week. Um, where we are still working on that. So, uh, hopefully, um, Hopefully we'll, we'll get there. And if you follow him on Twitter, hey, 
tell them. Come on our show. Let them know. <laughs> uh, and then a couple of shout outs. One to uh, a listener, Jim in Arizona. He sent me and us a nice email uh, about a number of things and including the fact that he supports the show. Um, so uh, just very complimentary and a very nice email. So uh, sounds like he's a, a, a avid listener. So thank you, Jim. And, you know, we usually see and we talk about this listener quite a bit. Uh, because he joins us via Facebook almost every single episode. Um, and the last couple of weeks, you know, he's kind of been hit and miss a little bit. Mike Holbrook. Uh, Mike Holbrook has been uh, has been able to connect us with quite a few guests that we've had on the program. You know, Adrian Ross and Tim McGee and Icky Woods. He was kind of instrumental in, in making connections there for us to get those guests on our show. Uh, he is a former radio personality in Cincinnati, and he now lives in Florida. Um, unfortunately, I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but his mother passed away, uh, this week. And, uh, so he's kind of going through a hard time. So just want to let him know we're thinking about him and, uh, you know, give him a little bit of support. He's a great supporter of this program. And, uh, you know, I have talked to him outside of the chat here. I've talked to him, you know, about stuff and being connected with these Bengal players and just about life and stuff. And I know this has kind of been a long, long thing with his mom. And uh, I was sorry to hear it, but uh, we're thinking about you, Mike, and, and hang in there, buddy. Uh, so stay strong. John, let's, let's get on out of here, buddy. Uh, we will see you next episode. And we'll be uh, we'll be sure to let you know what's on tap for next episode. In the meantime, get the show how you can. Subscribe to our channels. Keep it to CincyJungle.com for all the news, opinions, analysis. Great stuff like that from my co-host, John Sheeran. He does a lot of great quality pieces on there. So check it out. And we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. Uh-huh.